Now we give a warm welcome to everyone joining with us for public worship this evening, to those in the building and to those joining with us online. Just a couple of intimations before we begin. Uh, apologies that we didn't uh, manage to have the communion today, but that was due to the number of households with COVID in the congregation. We hope to rearrange uh, the communion date shortly. Uh, hopefully the deacon's court and the Kirk session will meet after the prayer meeting on Wednesday and hopefully we will have the annual general meeting the following Wednesday. But these, both these things are subject to, to change. They may, they may have to change. So, Let's begin our worship this evening by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 65. It's page 82 of the Psalter and it's the beginning of the song. In Zion, praise awaits you, Lord. To your vows we'll pay. To you all people will come near. You hear us when we pray. When we were overwhelmed by sins and guilt upon us lay, you pardoned all our trespasses. And washed uh, our guilt away. We'll sing verses 1 to 8 of Psalm uh, 65. And Zion, praise awaits you, Lord. join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we thank you for the words of the song that we have just been singing. We thank you that you inspired every word of it. 
and that gives us great consolation because we would never have dared to conjure up a song like that ourselves we would not think it would have been possible that when we were overwhelmed by sin and guilt upon us lay you pardoned all our trespasses and washed our guilt away sometimes our assessment of ourselves is that we are such great sinners that nothing in all the world could put it right and that is true nothing in all the world could put us right but someone in heaven put things right and he gave us a song that we've just been singing and it's his word on it and we thank you for the security that there is found Uh, in the book of Psalms and in the whole of the Bible the whole of the revelation contained within it we thank you that you sent your people into this world as prophets and as teachers to pass on to us the truth that you want us to know you could have done it in a different way but the for we who live in the 21st century this is the way that has been done may we ever be thankful for it the song also reminds us that you created this universe we look around it on an evening like this and we are captivated by its sheer beauty even as we cast our eyes over the forests around us and the different shades of colour even the different shades of green itself is just so mesmerising you are indeed a God of profound beauty we pray that these things would speak to us and that they would cause us to be full of awe and to be full of wonder we feel the rays of the sun shining down upon this planet at this time and the sunshine does something to us all it brings us to life in a specific way but it is the foundation of life on this planet without it we would perish but you are the creator of it as well and so we pray that we would never stop but and create and, and worship some of the creation but that we would go back to the great creator the eternal God but you're not only the creator you're the sustainer and thankfully you are the redeemer and we pray that as we gather here this evening that you would come in amongst us we do not deserve your presence in fact our lives are such that we have done much to cause you to shun us but we realize we absolutely and utterly need you every turn of the way every single day in you we live and move and have our being we pray that you would deal with us in your grace and in your mercy we pray again for those who are mourning afresh in this community we think of the Taylor family in coming days and we think of Kanyach Macmillan who mourns the loss of someone in his family and many others who in recent times and in times long gone by lost loved ones and who still feel the void O oh Lord our God help us to come to you to unburden our souls at your footstool whatever the issue might be we thank you for each and every family represented here our earnest prayer is that in the great beyond our family circles will be unbroken that we will all have trusted in you and that we will all be together throughout the endless ages of eternity we pray that you would remember those in this world who in the political arena hold the reins of power but are abusing it we pray that they would be brought down and indeed we pray that those who wield the reins of power within your church who are also abusing it would be removed 
and that you would give us church leaders and political leaders who together would know that righteousness alone exalts a nation. O Lord our God, we pray that you'd watch over us now for the wee while that we are gathered here. Enable us, we are in the building here and others who have joined us uh, by other means. We pray that we would be unable to worship you in spirit and in truth. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Uh, Amen. Now let's sing again to God's praise. This time it's Psalm number 30. It's found on page 239 of the Psalter. And it's at the beginning of the song. Psalm 30, page 239 at the beginning. Lord, I will thee extol, for thou hast lifted me on high. And over me thou to rejoice mayst not mine enemy. O thou art the Lord my God, I in distress to thee with loud cries lifted up my voice, and thou hast healed me. We'll sing verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 30. Lord, I will thee extol. read God's word as we find it in uh, the book of Genesis and at chapter 2. The book of Genesis chapter 2 and we'll read at the beginning of the chapter. 
Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because in it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pison, it is the one that flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gion. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and closed up its place uh, and whilst he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Amen. And may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we realize that this very day is a constant memorial to the human race, that you are indeed the great creator of everything in this universe. In the space of six days, your creative work occurs, and on the seventh day, you rest. And we realize that the one and seven is your pattern for the human race. 
And we realize that at stages of human history, some men have tried to change that pattern. Some to one in ten, and others in other ways. But it has never worked. It's your pattern that works, even at this very point in time. And we pray that we would remember there is great blessing in listening to you and in falling in with the way that you would have us a go. But this day is not just a reminder to us of your creative work. This day is a reminder to us of the resurrection of Christ. And because we are so connected with Christ if we believe in him, we too have the sure and certain hope of a resurrection similar to Christ's. We would not know these things, but for the fact that you have revealed them to us on the pages of Scripture. And indeed, even the bare reading of Scripture would not have caused us to know these things. We need your Spirit to open our eyes to behold the things that are on the pages of Holy Writ. We thank you that you have done that, and we pray that we would ever be appreciative. We so pamper these bodies of ours and we at times are so proud of them in our folly and in our weakness. But at the end of the day they are nothing more than the dust of the earth. Nothing more. But uh, you breathe life into the nostrils of the first man and he became a living creature. And so we have souls too. But we realize that in this fallen world that we live in, our souls are warped and deformed. But we thank you that just as in the physical sense you can give us a new body, you can also give us a new soul. Indeed, we are dead in trespasses and sins. But we can be made new creatures in Christ. These are things that we could never have conjured up even in our extreme moments of imagination. But we don't need to conjure them up. These are the things that you have done. And around us in this creation that we live in, there are so many things that we don't know, so much is mysterious. So it also is on the spiritual level as well. So much is mystery, but it's not all mystery. And as we turn to the pages of Scripture this night, we pray that we would delve into the, to the, to the glorious truths that are revealed in it and that we would find comfort and consolation for our souls as we make our way sometimes so wearily through this world. So often it's a baker's veil. It's just hard slogan struggle. But may we remember this, that big as veil at an end as well and we pray that we would remember that be with us then we pray come in with us bless us and do us good and all we ask is in Christ's name Amen now let's continue in the same song Psalm 30 it's on page 240 of the Psalter and it's at verse 6 Psalm 30 at verse 6 In my prosperity I said That nothing shall me move O Lord thou hast my mountain made To stand strong by thy love But when that thou O gracious God Didst hide thy face from me Then quickly was my prosperous state Turned into misery We'll sing verses 6 to 12 Of Psalm 30 in my prosperity I said that nothing shall me move. <clears throat> Yeah. 
Psalm 25. I'm going to look at it uh, in the first version of the Scottish Psalter simply because it's probably the version that we know best of all and it's at verse 4. Psalm 25 at verse 4. Show me thy ways, O Lord, thy paths, O teach thou me, and do thou lead me in thy truth, therein my teacher be. For thou art God that dost to me salvation send, and I upon thee all the day expecting do attend. Now let's by God's enabling seek to explore a bit more of this area of scripture. We've been looking at this psalm for a few um, evenings, and the last time we looked at it, we saw that one of the things that the psalmist says is, Show me thy ways, O Lord. And you know, very often we don't need to be shown the ways of God. We know very well what the ways of God are. We just don't want to go in them. And so our prayer has to be not only that we will be shown the ways of God, but that way we will walk in his ways as well, because therein is blessing, and therein and therein alone is a blessing. But I want us to look in particular at what's said in these words, For thou art God that dost to me salvation send. In other words, the psalmist says to God, You are the God of my salvation. And I want to explore that in terms of conception, in terms of birth, and in terms of living. Because sometimes we make this fundamental error, and perhaps it's an error we make more in our early days uh, of uh, being Christians that um, we've kind of got something to do with our salvation. Now that is true in this respect, that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's it. We don't contribute anything at all to our salvation other than that we believe. But it's hard for us to get our heads around that particularly as new uh, Christians. Basically what I'm saying is this. This whole idea of salvation is God's 
from the beginning to the end the salvation that God gives to people is an utter and absolute gift all we have to do is to take it and we take it when we believe what he says and we trust in him but I want us to look at uh, these three things in terms of conception and in terms of birth and in terms of uh, living now we have been reading there about in the book of Genesis about God creating the very first man Adam and he made Adam from the dust of the earth now I was talking this morning about how we in our fallenness are so into ourselves it's so much I, 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 me, me, me. And a great deal of that is manifested in the interest we show and how we look and how we dress and what jewellery we might have on. Whereas uh, what God is really interested in is this, what's there on the inside. But at the end of the day, these bodies of ours that we pamper so much and we give so much attention to and can spend so much money on, at the end of the day, they're no more than dust. Dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. And there's Adam made in a specific way designed by God created by God molded and fashioned by God but in the whole of this universe Adam interacts with it and he gives a name to all these animals and whatnot. and it isn't a random name he gives the names that he gives to these creatures are names that describe something about it so Adam is using his intellect he's using his mind uh, as he's engaged in these things but there's still something missing for Adam and God creates out of the rib of Adam a woman who's a helper to uh, Adam and that's why we cannot live as islands we have been designed in such a way we have been made in such a way that we need to socially interact in some kind of way or other you know even before there was ever a universe in existence there was social interaction now I know that the trinity is a great mystery who can fully understand it but we believe it because God has revealed it to us but and this never had a beginning this was always the case there was social interaction between the Father, the Son and the Spirit and the Trinity and because we're made in the image of God that's one of the reasons why we are social beings we are not designed to live as islands we are not designed to live alone so if someone says well you know what I really need human company and it's a big problem to me um, no no that shouldn't be a problem to you You're, you were designed that way and we are made in the image of God a God who has social interaction going on all of, uh, of the time so that's the first man and that's the first woman but the human race thereafter is perpetuated by the coming together of the male and the female but you know, therein there is great mystery. How a tiny sperm that we cannot see interacts with a tiny egg that we cannot see and creates one cell. And the cell becomes two and the two becomes four and the four becomes eight and the eight becomes sixteen until the scientists today tell us that every human being is made up of three trillion different cells you think how on earth does that work 
And how does it work when that very first cell that's created has all the information in it that will tell you how many hairs you're going to have in your head, will tell you what colour your skin's going to be, what colour your eyes are going to be, what shape your head's going to be. It's all there in that original one cell. That is mind-blowing stuff. That is mind-blowing. But that is the way it is. And within the womb, even before there's birth, from the time of conception, there is something going on. And in the human race, it's a gestation period of nine months, usually at any rate. But that fetus is, uh, is developed. And, uh, you know, in Ecclesiastes 11.5, it says this, As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. Do you know, we know a great deal about God. Some of it has come from the pages of Scripture, but we don't need this pages of Scripture to get to know God. Now let me qualify that. We have a huge amount of knowledge of God without ever turning to the Bible. It's there whether we want it or not. Now many people don't want it. Because they don't like what they see when they see this knowledge that they have of God. Get rid of it. Get rid of God. That's their way of dealing with life. That's the ego coming in. That's the I. That's the me uh, coming in. But even without the pages of scripture we have a huge knowledge of God. It's added to when we come to Scripture and the Holy Spirit enlightens our minds in the knowledge that there is in Scripture. But that having been said, there is so much about God that we still have to learn. Still have to learn. How is it that that little child in the womb, how, how are the bones formed? How is the heart formed? How are the lungs formed? How is the pituitary gland formed? How, is it, how does it all happen and it all comes together and you have a human being in the womb? It's a reminder uh, to us of uh, this. That it's the doing of the Lord. Conception and the creation of human life within a mother's womb is the doing of the Lord. But that's not just true on the physical realm, at the physical level. That is also true on the spiritual level rebel. Theologians talk of regeneration. That's when God works in someone to make them alive. And you know, you go to, for example, an Old Testament passage like Ezekiel's vision. And Ezekiel sees a valley of dry bones. Now, it's not just a valley of dead people. It's a valley of bones. In other words, they've been dead for a while. Because, you know, you, by the time the flesh declays, it can take time. But, but he's very specific. He doesn't say it's a valley of bones. It's a valley of dry bones. So it's kind of like adding this, it's death upon death upon death. It's trying to get across this idea, we really are dealing with dead stuff here. And what happens in Ezekiel's vision? Now remember what a vision is. You know, we have the word of God written down on the pages of scripture. And that's the way God has communicated with us in the 21st century. That's not the way God always communicated with people. Sometimes in the past he communicated with people through dreams. Now the dream was when they were sound asleep. And God communicated to them in that kind of way. The difference between a dream and a vision is this. In a vision, the person is awake. But God communicates these things to them 
whilst they are still conscious and they are still awake and that seems to be what happened in the case of uh, Ezekiel but Ezekiel is basically shown a vision whereby these dead bones come to life and you think how on earth does that happen that just doesn't happen does it well it doesn't happen as far as we are concerned you know I read even yesterday about a firm in Australia. This is nothing new, and I've mentioned this about going on in America, but uh, this Australian firm was advertising, you know, you can, you can pay so much and you can get your, your body preserved so that when science develops to the extent that they can enable you to come back again and to live longer, they'll do it for you, for a, for a fee. And not for a minimal fee either. And uh, you know, you wonder, what, what on earth would you want to do that for when you get it for nothing in Christ? A, a new body that will last throughout the endless ages of eternity. And you know, I'm, I'm thinking of the words just now of an elder who died just recently. And it's true that he struggled physically in the last few years of his life. But uh, what he said was, once over is enough for this world. Once over. But um, here we we are and regeneration is something that occurs on the part of God himself. In that vision, it's God who brings these dry bones to life again, and they become living people. And it's God alone who can take a sperm and an egg and cause it to be a fetus. It's God alone who can do uh, that. And in the spiritual realm, as far as regeneration is concerned, we are passive. We don't have a role to play. That is God's doing. That is holy and solely God's doing. You know, it's amazing how off-beam we can get. Not just in the 21st century, but we go way back to the days of Jesus and you get a fairly prominent um, church leader in the shape and form of Nicodemus and Jesus talks to him about regeneration basically the second birth and um, he's all at sea can a man enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born again and you think how on earth could a leading light and we assume an educated man because he was part of the Sanhedrin how on earth could he think like that but we just need to look around ourselves in society today and you think how on earth can people think along those lines how ridiculous does it get but that seems to be the way we uh, are but Jesus is making it very clear except a man be born again he cannot enter into the kingdom of God and regeneration it's God's work but I want to move on from conception and I want us to think of a birth now the reality is this long before the natural birth of any single one of us the elements that constitute this universe were brought into being by God. That's why we read in the second chapter of uh, Genesis. It looks as if God makes this grey mass of stuff. You can call it stuff, you can call it atoms, you can call it elements, you can call it whatever you will, but God makes this grey mass of stuff. And then God begins to work on it. And over a period of six days, he moulds and fashions and shapes it until you've got the universe as we know it. And then on the seventh day, God rested and made it holy. And that word holy basically means separate or other or different. 
So there's a separate and there's another and there's a different day. And that's why we're here today. This day is different from any other day. It's not a regular work a day. It's a day set aside not only for public worship but for private worship. And that goes back to God himself. Now I think I think during the French Revolution and also, uh, I can't remember, was it China or Russia? But there have been attempts to change the pattern. One of them had one in ten, and I can't remember what the other one was. It's a long time since I, since I read up on it. But it was an attempt by man to get the rhythm to change. It didn't work. And the rhythm is still the same, despite the, the opposition that there still is to it amongst many in society. It is the one in a seven. But of this great mass that God creates, it's carried on down through the years and the centuries and the millennia. And here you and I are, and each of us have these three trillion cells, so the scientists tell us, but it's all got a link with that original mass. It all goes back to God himself. We are here and we are constituted as we are because God originally made a great mass and he has looked after that mass over the many, many years and that's why you and I exist in a physical sense. But that's not just true of our existing in a physical sense. It's also true of us existing as, in terms of our souls. We've explored something of our souls in this song and the early uh, verses of it. Our souls that consist of an intellect, that consist of a of emotions and consist of the ability to make decisions volition. Intellect, emotion and volition. But it's not just that. And here's a question that you can ponder. Does God make a great mass of soul that we all have come from, just like our bodies? Or does God, when he creates a new human being is it a new act of creation on the part of God himself or have we, in other words in terms of soul have we all come from an original lump or are we all brand new creations now there are different views on that and you can explore them uh, for yourselves but let's remember this everybody whether saved or unsaved has a soul where the work of regeneration goes on, that soul becomes alive in a special way. We become new creatures. And that is the work of God. But something has to be done before any person who is dead in trespasses and sins can be brought alive again. Or let me put it another way. Something has to be done before God can regenerate any person. And the something has, that has to be done is the something that enables God to regenerate. And what needs to be done in, in, in able for God to regenerate is Christ has to Engage in the work that God has given to him and he needs to complete it to God's satisfaction. That's why we've got a cross at Calvary with Christ hanging on it. And on the third day after the crucifixion of Jesus he rises triumphantly over the grave because everything that God would have him do has been done satisfactorily in the eyes of God. In other words, it clears the way for God's work of regeneration. Now I know that people were regenerated before Christ ever died on Calvary. But God looks at Calvary. You know, t time is not a concept that God is bound by. 
And God looks at what Christ does in his 33 years in this world and everybody, whether they live before Christ or after Christ, is regenerated. They're regenerated on the basis of what Christ has done. And so we're back to our way in the midst of eternity. Something going on in this trinity whereby God is saying to the Son, you need to do something if any of that fallen race is going to be regenerated. And nobody can be is unable to enter into heaven unless this regeneration takes place. And this regeneration cannot take place unless you pay the price of redemption. So something is going on away, way beyond us that is absolutely astonishing. God is at work. And God is ensuring that regeneration is not just a possibility but that it will take place in the life of every believer. We are completely passive in regeneration. Now conversion is a different thing entirely. Because we do have a role to play in conversion. And the role that we play in conversion is this. We believe. We exercise faith. And we repent. So there is something that we are doing and there's something that we are conscious of doing. And here's a, here's a strange thing. As far as I can see, sometimes people can be regenerated. And they're not aware of it. But I don't think you can say that of conversion. Because where people are repenting and people are exercising faith, they are aware of it. But at the end of the day, no person that's converted can be so without regeneration. Who does it go back to? We are passive in regeneration. It goes back. No wonder this man is saying, he is the God of my salvation. And I want to say something briefly about the third thing, and that's living. And there's a parallel here as well between the physical life and the spiritual life. You know, God, God oversees a child in the womb until it comes to the time of birth. And God gives to that child a set of lungs. When that birth takes place and that umbilical cord is severed, if that child does not use its lungs, it's not going to live. It's simply not going to live. That child must absolutely must use its lungs to get oxygen into its system and to get rid of the carbon dioxide. It's exactly the same on the spiritual level as well. We have to use our spiritual lungs uh, so to speak. Let me put it another way. Faith is a gift of God. God tells us that. It's not God who exercises the faith. We're the ones that exercise the faith. Or, or we don't. That's, that's the choice the human race um, has. To believe or not to believe. But where God bestows faith, we are the ones uh, who exercise it. Or to put it another way, I said conversion is the exercising of faith and the exercising of repentance. We're the ones who do that. We are the ones who do that. And it is a faith that is given means to develop and to prosper by God. We have to use the means for spiritual living that God has given to us. What are the means? The Bible is one of them. We need to read the Bible and reread the Bible because many a time we read it and we haven't a clue what we're reading. But we've read our chapter and we're on the go for the day. But there is just so, so much to learn. 
prayer is a means of grace. But some days we're just too busy for that. Fellowship of God's people is a means of grace. Sitting under the preaching of the gospel is a means of grace. The sacraments are a means of grace. There are so many means. But if we don't use the means, we're going to be in trouble. But from the point of, of viewing these things, from, the, from spiritual conception, from spiritual birth, and from spiritual living, we look back, and just as on the physical level, conception, birth, and living are all of God, so on the spiritual level, conception, birth, and living are all of God. David says, you are the God of my salvation. It's a gift. It's an absolute and utter gift. And it is a gift that we must grasp with all our grasping. May God grant that we could all say this night, you are the God of my salvation. Now let's conclude by singing to God's praise in Psalm 116. And it's at verse 13. I love salvation, take the cup. On God's name will I call, I'll pay my vows now to the Lord. Before his people all, to the end of the song, I love salvation, take the cup.